Well, this morning, uh, we're going to deviate a little bit from the Revelation series. Our lead pastor, Kevin Eckert, has been walking us through. And we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians. And we'll be in chapter 10, starting in verse 23. And we're going to go all the way through chapter 11, verse 1. So if you've got your words, you can start turning there. In this book, Paul is writing to uh, the Corinthians, the, the church at Corinth, to be able to talk to them uh, about what they've endured and what they're walking through. Because frequently what's happened is they've understood the gift of Christ and they've believed in Christ. And, and the difference in believing in the grace or being given what they don't deserve because of Christ, they now experience freedom. Right? They understand freedom in Christ. It's not the list of burdens of things that they have to do, the do's and don'ts and all those things. And so they've come to understand what it is to live under trusting in Christ and Christ alone. And Paul's writing to them because a lot of times what they've done is they've taken that freedom and they're not really sure what they ought to be doing with it. Or they're doing some things that maybe they shouldn't or they're not sure how it all goes together. So Paul's going to write to them and talk about all these different things that have to do with their freedoms. And a part of it, in chapters 8 through 10 specifically, he's talking about uh, something that's happening in their day about eating meat sacrificed to an idol. So, I don't know about you, but I don't see many temples around here with people sacrificing meat, right, to, to idols. But what they were experiencing that day was very popular for that to happen. There were temples all over the place. People would make sacrifices um, to these gods, and then they would cook the meat and frequently would have celebrations even within the temple and around that temple um, in honor and part of that worship. And then sometimes that meat would make its way to the market, and they'd have to go to the market and they would buy meat, and so you wouldn't know, was that meat sacrificed to idols or was it not? And then sometimes uh, they'd go over to the house of a non-believer and they'd cook a meal for them, and they wouldn't know, was this meat sacrificed to an idol or was it not? Um, and what do we do with that? And how do we play that out? It was, it was a key component of that moment. And so Paul's going to address it uh, because they've been told, don't eat meat sacrificed to an idol. So how do they know what's best and how to use that? And so in chapter 8, Paul just lays it out and says, he says, hey, look, here's what it is. It's simply meat. Meat is the Lord's. So it's not that big a deal. It's meat. But, and he, he leaves a but there, but... If you and I have the knowledge that it's the Lord's and, and, and that it's meat only, be clear. There are others among you that if you eat that meat and they see you eat that meat, they're already in a place of idolatry that they may participate in eating of it. And it's going to affect their conscience. It's going to defile their conscience. And so Paul says, in, in you eating that meat in front of them and causing their conscience to be defiled, you've sinned against them and against the Lord. And then he goes on in chapter 9 to talk about why he's laid down. Paul has so many of his freedoms for the sake of other people. He talks about having a right to earn money as a minister of the gospel, but not taking money from them. He said it's perfectly right, and he shows them biblically why it's perfectly right. But he says, I've chosen not to for your sake. And he goes down the list of reasons why and things that he's laid down for them and for others for the sake of the gospel. In fact, he makes a statement in chapter 9 about saying that I am a free man, I'm a slave to nobody, but I've intentionally made myself a slave to everybody for the sake of the gospel. He's saying I'm laying down my freedoms for the sake of others to know Christ. He goes on in chapter 9 to, to say that he disciplines his body because that's of the difficulty of that. He disciplines it so that he is not caught in pursuing 
um, his own indulgence. It'd be easy to do. And so he's talking about the discipline of that. And then he goes on to chapter 10 to immediately start talking about after he's disciplined his own body, he talks about their ancestors and how many of them who knew the same Lord ended up falling into the indulgence of their sin and had to pay the consequences for it. And so then he goes on in in chapter 10 to talk about how uh, they shouldn't fall into idolatry and the idea of idolatry with eating of this meat and what it would look like. And he makes again the point of it's just meat, right? But it's meat in the temples of worshiping demons. He said, so would you want to go and participate in the worship of demons and the worship of the Lord? He said, how can you do both, worship demons and the Lord? So he's making this clarity. And then in verse 23 of chapter 10, where we're going to start, he's going to pick up and we're going to follow along here where he's going and how that plays into what he's just said. So verse 23 says this, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. So you see that phrase there, everything is permissible. This is, this is a statement that the Corinthians would have been, been claiming with their freedoms. Everything's permissible for us. We're under grace. It's permissible. And then Paul responds to it. This same phrasing is in chapter 6, verse 12. Paul points it out again here in chapter 10, verse 23. This idea of you know, them saying, yeah, but everything's permissible. This is almost a mantra. Everything's permissible for us. We're under grace. And Paul immediately says, but not everything is beneficial. And then again, everything's permissible, but not everything builds up. And then laying out, no one is to seek his own good but the good of other persons. See, he's pointing out that they're really asking the wrong question. We tend to ask this question of, hey, what are my freedoms? What are my boundaries? What's everything I can possibly do as a believer and and still be able to, to pursue Christ okay? And Paul's saying the question is not what are our freedoms, the question is what's beneficial? And the question is what builds others up? Because that changes the game, doesn't it? It's not just about myself, it's about what's beneficial and what helps build others up. And then that phrase, no one is to seek his own good but the good of the other person. This whole concept here in these these verses is very difficult, right? It's difficult for me, it's difficult for all of us. I mean, we can see it in the little things of our lives. And the small things and the big things, right? I could take you to this past week in our home when there's still Easter candy laying around our house. And those chewy, sour sweet tarts are my favorites. Thankfully, our kids are not super excited about them. They are a little sour, but they still like them. And so here's my conundrum. At times, when our kids have, have come in and it's the middle of the afternoon and they may have already had a little bit of candy and so we've cut them off for the day, you know, we've said no more. And then I start to want some of that candy. And I go, it's my turn. I'm dad. I can simply say I get to eat the candy. Right? That's my right as the one who bought that candy <laughs> to eat it. But here's the conundrum. The minute minute I pull that candy out of of our pantry and start to open it, those kids have sonar ears. 
They don't have sonar ears when you say, hey, I need you to take out the trash, but they got sonar ears when the candy wrapper just gets ruffled a little bit. And I know they're coming. And so I have this conundrum, what's beneficial and what builds up, not just what is my right? Because what tends to happen is I go, can I do this secretly enough where they don't see it? Wait till they get to the four corners of the house. I pull it out. I open the wrapper. I throw the wrapper away so there's no more evidence. And I put them in my pocket so they don't see them. And then I have my order in the way that I eat these things. All right? I eat them in order of my least favorite flavor all the way up to my most favorite flavor. So that the, the last flavor in my mouth is my favorite. So here's the problem. If I start to eat some... One of these kids inevitably is going to come into the room. Dad, what you eating? My conundrum is, how do I help them? Because if, if I say, yep, you know what, it's my right as a dad, maybe it is, but how am I beneficial in helping them or how am I building them up? So if I say, here, take one, um, the selfish side of me says, I've just given them one of my favorite flavors. Because that's what's left in my pocket. But there's this reality of, in that moment, what is most beneficial and what builds them up as as opposed to something as simple as candy that could drive them to say, well, dad gets to do all these things and I don't get to do anything. Right? And that's a small thing. Think about it as we start getting into the big issues of life. Not just what's my right or permissible, but what's beneficial and what builds others up. And what helps them move forward. Paul's going to go on to talk about here the specific instances and situations about eating meat and when and how and why and what that looks like. And so let's look at verse 25. It says, eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience. Since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, if any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this is food from a sacrifice, do not eat it. Out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. So here's what he's done. He's given them three different examples. You go into the market, you're going to buy some meat. Guess what? Buy whatever meat is there. You don't have to ask the guy over and say, I need the FDA-approved label. Which one of these says sacrifice to an idol? He's like, you just eat it. It's okay. You go to an unbeliever's house. They've cooked a meal for you. They've prepared it. You don't have to ask them first, hey, has this meat been sacrificed to an idol? Right? Because what he's already talked about, this meat is simply the Lord's. Don't get burdened or tied down. Just eat the meat. Both of those instances, he says, go for it. But then he gives a third instance. If you're there eating with that unbeliever or with others, and someone says, hey, that meat you're eating, it's sacrificed to an idol. He tells them, then don't eat it. Don't touch it. The implication here is that they're telling you this for some specific reason. There's something. They want to know your response. They, they want to understand something. They're watching you. And so what Paul says is, don't eat it. Don't eat what's been put in front of you then. So for you and I, with the freedoms that God has given, right, under grace, what are we supposed to do with that? How is that supposed to play out? What's that supposed to look like? 
We live with those freedoms, but we subject those freedoms to the sake of someone else's conscience. Right? That's what he just said. He says, I do not mean for your own conscience, but the other person's. See, the reality is there are, there are set many different ways and many different personality types here, and we respond differently. Some of us hear this idea of laying down our rights and freedoms for someone else's conscience, and, and our personality is we don't want to cause any problem for anybody. This is the person that doesn't like conflict, doesn't like anything. The moment conflict starts to happen, they're crawling under the table and going, I don't want any part of that. So you just kind of give in because you don't want to wrestle through the difficulty of that. There's others of us here that are kind of peacemakers. We go, well, let's figure out how to solve the problem. There's an issue, let's work through it. Um, maybe I have a freedom to this and it's a problem for you, so let's figure out how to work through it together and find a common ground. Um, there's others of us here that fit in a kind of a third category, that if someone tells you you can't do something, you're going to get two feet from their face, look at them square in the eye and do it because you have a right to do it, Right? You, you push back on that mentality of there's nobody else can tell me what to do. I'm a free person. I have my own right. And so in, in, in hearing this as believers at times, it can almost feel like fingernails on a chalkboard. What do you mean I don't have the right to do whatever I want? And Paul raises some questions here that are valid questions in verse 29. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized because of something for which I give thanks? Right? This idea, why is my freedom judged by someone else's conscience? Aren't I judged by whether I've trusted in Christ, not by what someone else thinks? Isn't that the way that I'm judged? And the reality is for salvation, that's absolutely correct. I'm judged by the gospel and whether I've trusted Christ or believed in him or trusted in what Christ has done for me. And then he says, if I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized? Because of something for which I give thanks. If I'm doing it in a way that honors the Lord and I'm trusting the Lord, aren't I free? Right? Those are valid questions to raise. But look at how he answers it in what's to come. Verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. Did you catch what he says here? Verse 31, this is, this is what I call a coffee cup verse. It's a verse you see all over the place, right? They put it on a coffee cup, put it on a t-shirt, put it, this is one of those feel-good verses we see all over. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. So he's just raised these questions about, well, am, aren't I not subject to someone else's conscience? If I do it with right thinking and, and with seeking to honor the Lord, is it not okay? And what Paul's saying is, is not whether I have a right to something. The question is whether what I'm doing is about bringing glory to God. Is, is what I'm about to partake in, what I'm about to do, whatever it is, is it about the name of the Lord or is it about my name? Doing it for the glory of God. And guess what he ties to living for the glory of God? Verse 32, give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God. He ties loving other people to living for the glory of God. So you'll hear us talk about all the time this idea of love God, love people, help others do the same. Loving God and loving people are directly tied together. 
We cannot accurately love God until we love people because God loves people. And so when he says give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, he's talking about the, don't, don't give any opportunity for offense of other religious people. Don't give opportunity to offense people outside the church. And don't give opportunity for offense of people within the church. So as Paul has laid out in the, ver- in the chapters before this, that he lays down his own life. He is a slave to everyone, not because he has to be, but because he is so compelled to love them because of his love for God, that he wants them to know Christ and to walk with Christ. See, what compels you and me is not whether I'm free to do something. What compels us is a love for God that is transformed into a love for people so that whatever we do, we want others to be able to know and walk with Christ. That's what surrender looks like. That's how it plays out. That's what happens. And and I can see a question raised here from verse 33. It says, just as I also try to please everyone in everything. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't Galatians 1.10 say that I'm not seeking the approval of anyone? Am I trying to seek the approval of God or of men? And talking about, I, I don't need to seek the approval of people. How come right here he says, I'm seeking to please everyone? Or in chapter 9, verses 22 and 23, it says, To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that I may be by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel so that I may share in the blessing. Right? Why is he doing all these things for the sake of other people when in Galatians 1.10 he says, I don't have to worry about the approval of people? What's the difference? In Galatians 1.10, Paul is talking about, I don't seek the approval of people for my value. Right? I'm not looking to others to be valued. I look to Christ for my approval and my value. Here in 1 Corinthians, he's not talking about his value. He's talking about a response to finding his value in Christ. When his value is found in Christ, there is nothing that supersedes that value than knowing Christ and helping others know Christ. And so he will lay down his rights so that others may walk with Christ. You catch the difference between those two things? It's not about value and approval here. He is one who has been approved, and he is intentionally laying down his rights so others might walk toward Christ. Not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. And here's the deal. I don't know that any of us in here could say, am I laying down my rights for the sake of others to move toward Christ the way I want to or the way I should? Uh, You might sit there and go, well, thanks, preacher. I appreciate that. Let me walk out with shame and guilt today. Awesome. That's not the goal here. Shame and guilt are not good motivators. Ever. I see that time and again as a dad. Right? Our kids this week, we asked them to, to clean their rooms and do some other chores and one of our younger ones inevitably starts crying and says, I'm too tired. It's amazing how tired they get immediately. I'm too tired. But he'd wanted to go fishing. And so I said, oh, 
I guess then you're too tired to go fishing. No. Right? Because I was, I was making him do something he would, did not claim as a value. He did not value cleaning up his room or, or any of those things. What he valued, he did value going out and spending time fishing. And he had plenty of energy for that. Here's the deal. If I were to stand here and just say, we're not doing enough, you could walk out those doors and for about 10 minutes go, I'm going to try to do better. But that doesn't change our value. That's under compulsion. What Paul is talking about here is that he is so valued knowing Christ and so values others knowing Christ that it changes what he does. You think about an athlete in chapter 9. He talked about athletes and how they discipline their bodies. They only discipline their bodies when they value the goal more than anything else. You know, you could look around today at the best athletes in the world, and most of them, not all of them, most of them when they were younger were not the most athletic. They simply were the ones that knew the goal and were willing to sacrifice for that goal more than anybody else. You look at the time they got up in the morning, you look at the ways that they sacrifice over and over again to be the best at their sport. Because the goal was more important than anything else. And they sacrificed for that value. And you and I sacrifice for what we value. So here's the thing. If we're not in a place where we are willing to lay down our rights for other people to know Christ and to walk with Christ... It's not a matter of trying harder. It's a matter of coming back to the Lord and saying, Lord, I have to admit and confess that my value of you is not where it should be, and I need you to change my heart. I don't know if you've ever looked at the book of Acts and watched how in chapters 2 and chapter 4 and in several places, the body of believers together, they sold their possessions, they lived in unity, they sacrificed what they had for one another and for others to know Christ. I don't know if you've ever looked at those verses and thought, I don't know how they did it. We don't do that. I don't know how to do that. They gave of everything for the sake of the, of the body together. I don't know if it's just been assumed, but over time I just began to assume that was just what they had to do. Right? You start to think, yeah, it's just what everybody did, so they did it. But if you look in chapter 5 of Acts, you'll see the story of Ananias and Sapphira where they had sold some land And they brought some of the money to the church leaders, but not all of it. But the issue was that they lied about it. They kept some back and hid it. And if you go back and you look at how Peter responded, you can see that they did not have to sell it out of compulsion. They were not forced or made to. Peter's response when Ananias comes to him, and Peter's response is is simply, is this the price? Ananias says, yes. And then Peter asked him, said, did you not own this land? Basically, could you not have done anything you wanted with it before you sold it? And then he asked another question. And even after you sold it, wasn't the money yours to do with what you wanted? Basically going, nobody forced you to come here and bring this. So why did you come and then lie? He said that was, that was the sin, that was the difficulty, was that he came and lied. He, probably, he could have brought it and just said, hey, this is what we are bringing and is available that we want to give to the church. We sold it for this, but this is what we're giving. For some reason, he felt compelled to need to lie. But he didn't have to sell his land. He didn't have to give the money, and Peter made that clear. 
What was happening in the early church was that they came to know Christ and the value of knowing Christ was so great that they just began to submit everything they had and every bit of themselves for the sake of other people knowing Christ. And it wasn't out of being made to, it was out of a compulsion toward the goal and value of knowing Christ and making him known. That changed the way they lived. And that's not out of reach. Here's, here's the reality of doing what I do as a, one of the pastors. I get the privilege and the joy of watching as this happens in your lives and as it happens in our body. Kurt talked earlier about uh, wind-shaped cam. I love and have seen over and over again how people have said, here's my resources. I want a kid to have the opportunity to know Christ, whatever it takes. Or in other instances of the church, people saying, I want to give whatever I have, or I want to give my time, or I want to sacrifice for the sake of people knowing Christ. Over and over again, we get the joy of seeing you value the Lord and just lay down your lives for him in spheres of influence inside the church and outside the church. And that is a great joy to watch. But we don't live under being made to surrender for the sake of others. We so value Christ that it changes the lens through which we look at the world and that in turn, it changes how we love God and how we love people. We cannot disconnect a love of God from a love of people. Notice how he ends this little section here with verse one of chapter 11. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Isn't that interesting? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's talked to them about what it means to, to live and not eat the meat sacrificed to idols or how to lay down their lives for the sake of other people and the benefit of the gospel. And then he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What was Christ's example? We see it in Philippians 2. Christ laid down his rights for the sake of other people. Did he not? When he came to the world? When he lived that perfect sinless life? And chose to get on that cross to pay a penalty that you and I owe. He laid down rights that he was most definitely owed for the benefit of others. So as Paul says, I lay down my rights, I'm going to follow Christ and you follow me as I follow Christ. Isn't this the essence of making disciples? Right? Helping others to follow Christ. It, it may sound a little bit arrogant, but Paul's not talking about following him because he's worthy to be followed. Paul's talking about following him because his goal is Christ. And he'll do it imperfectly. You and I do it imperfectly all the time. But his goal was to pursue Christ and then others would follow him. So you and I, as we love God and love people, we then find a way to help others do the same. Help them learn to imitate Christ as we imitate Christ and do that together. Right there is joy there. See, the difficulty is we typically want to live in a zone of give 50-50. I give 50 and I wait for somebody else to give their 50 so we meet in the middle. Isn't that how we like to operate? Um, if you're married and you try to live 50-50, I can tell you it doesn't work very well. Because you will do what you believe to be 50% and wait on the other person to do what they believe to be 50%. And guess what? Those don't usually match. 
But what we're called to is to give all of ourselves, give 100%. And if I give all of me, I'm not worried about figuring out where somebody else meets my needs. Because my needs are met in Christ. And I give sacrificially for them and their benefit toward Christ. Why in the world would we do this? We saw it last week in the Revelation study as Kevin unpacked the passage that talked about the hope of eternity, right? When we have the hope of eternity, I could lay down everything that I experience this side of heaven because I know the hope of eternity is worth every bit of it. When knowing Christ and walking with him and helping others learn to walk with him and know him, then I will lay down everything I have on this side of heaven for that goal. But we all find it difficult. We all find it hard. We all wrestle with ourselves and go, thanks for reminding me I'm not who I should be. But let me remind you that you are in a place where God takes you right where you are and loves you right where you are. And all we have to do is come to him and say, Lord, change my heart. I want to value other people's knowing Christ more than I value my freedoms to whatever I want. This week, we read a story to our kids. We go to the library frequently and get books. And I pulled one of the books out one night this week and began to read it, and it just struck me. Right in line with what this passage says. It's called Little Tree. It was all about a little tree that was planted, very small, very young, and then all these other little trees that were planted next to it. And a squirrel would come around the tree and play and a little bird would land in the branches of the tree and sing. And then fall came and all their leaves turned brown and all the other little trees dropped their leaves. And this little tree hugged tightly to his brown leaves. And the squirrel said, little tree, drop your leaves. It's time for you to drop your leaves. And the little tree just hugged tightly to his leaves. Winter came and went, and all the other little trees started to get new leaves, and this little tree hugged tightly to his brown leaves. The next fall came, and and another animal came up and said, little tree, drop your leaves, when all the other trees dropped their leaves, and the little tree would not, and hugged tightly to his leaves. Over the years, the little tree hugged tightly to those little brown leaves and stayed small, while all the other trees began to grow. And eventually, the sound of the birds in those trees was so far away, the little tree couldn't hear it anymore. And the squirrels no longer ran around his little branches because they had bigger trees to run with. And this little tree was left all alone, hugging tightly to his little brown leaves. Until eventually one day, the little tree got so tired of not being who he was, called, who he was created to be that he finally said, okay, I'm going to let go. And he let go of his little leaves. And you know what? The next experience he had, it wasn't of something wonderful. The next experience was the experience of winter. For the first time, he didn't have the warmth of the leaves, and he experienced the cold of the winter. But then in spring, he got new leaves. And year after year, this little tree dropped his leaves and began to grow and became the tree that was big like all the other trees. Don't you and I live in this same place? Lord, but don't I have a right to this? I'm going to hug on to it and hold tight. Lord, don't I have, isn't, isn't this 
mine and I don't know what will happen if I let go of it for the sake of someone else, for the sake of knowing Christ. I'm scared to let go because I'm afraid it's going to be painful. And the Lord says, little tree, let go of those leaves because I have something better for you. Let go of your rights so that I can make you what I created you to be and so that others can come to know me through you. That value is worth everything. Are we going to cling tightly to what we have and what we claim to be ours? Are we going to freely entrust them to the Lord? Not being bound by do's and don'ts to earn the favor of God, but entrusting ourselves for the sake of the gospel that every decision we make, whether big or small, we look to the benefit and the building up of others so that they may know Christ and walk more fully with him. This is the joy and the benefit of believers, that as we know Christ, we are so compelled for his glory and our life and for others' relationships with him. There we love God, love people, and help others do the same in a way that leads us to growing and flourishing the way God designed us to grow and flourish. And we find great joy in doing things that are very difficult because he is more than enough.